With Sarah, I'd like to welcome you here and welcome some of you back. Great to have you with us. We had a great Sunday last week. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for eating hot dogs. Uh, I know it was um, a real difficulty. Um, we are going to do what, uh, what we've set out to do, which is to continue to gather here on Sunday mornings. Uh, we are going to open up uh, the Bible. We're going to uh, hear the word preached. And so, as I said last week, uh, we are going to dive into our series, which is in the book of Philippians. So our, our plan is, for the most part, to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we think that is where uh, how God has organized his truth and his messages. There's a, a context there which is helpful. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, the letter to uh, Philippians is indeed, it's, it's a letter. If, you're, if you haven't heard much about Philippians, uh, it's in the Bible. It's near the back end, New Testament. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to grab a Bible. We have some on the tables on your way in. Um, it is, as I just said, a letter. It's really helpful uh, to know a bit of the context about something that you're going to read before, before you read it. And so the beginning part of this sermon will be a little bit of kind of context. Is what is Philippians? Who wrote it? Uh, why did he write it? Uh, what exactly are we reading? There's a difference uh, between reading um, uh, a poem or a newspaper article or a novel or in this case a letter. Uh, we have different expectations when we come to read a letter and we sort of approach it a bit differently. So this is a letter, and all of the uh, Ian's books, like Ephesians, Galatians, they're all letters, uh, usually from Paul, the Apostle Paul, not always, but usually from him, to a church uh, of a town with a funny name, which is why it's always Ian. So in this case, uh, it's Paul writing to the church in Philippi, which is a real town, and uh, so that's why they're called Philippians. Uh, the story of how this church started is found in the book of Acts, Acts 15. Uh, Paul and uh, Silas, they went to start some more churches because that's what Paul did. He was a church planter and he had the idea to go into Asia. And I think we have a map. Oh, there it is. A very pixelated map. So uh, he wanted to go into Asia Minor. He had been there uh, before, wanted to do some more of that, uh, but God prevented him from going there. And in fact, he had a vision of someone from Macedonia, which you can see the region up there, saying, Paul, come help us. And so Paul took that as a sign, and they went into Macedonia. They went into Philippi. Now, the, the city of Philippi is an interesting city. Um, it was named after King Philip II of Macedonia. So that's why it's called Philippi. He was the father of Alexander the Great. So again, just a long line of great Greek People, which I will try to highlight whenever I can for my Greek heritage. So, uh, Alexander the Great, not that many heritages have people named the Great. Uh, we do. Alexander the Great. So, he, uh, that was his dad. He conquered uh, Philippi, named it Philippi. That was about 400 years before Paul got there. A hundred years before Paul got there, there was a big battle that happened just nearby. And this was between uh, the Roman Empire and uh, the rebellion. So, it's kind of like Star Wars, but in Latin. And so uh, this was those who were uh, faithful to Julius Caesar. He had just been assassinated. And they were going after Brutus and Cassius, who had assassinated Caesar, and uh, they, they defeated them. So they were so excited that they said, this town, which is right here, we're going to make this a Roman colony. So that means by the time that Paul started walking through with Silas, it was a very Roman town. Everyone spoke Latin. They worshipped Roman gods. They worshipped the emperor. Uh, in fact, everyone there was a Roman citizen. And so they felt pretty good about themselves because back in that time, that was a very uh, high status to have. 
The one thing they didn't have in Philippi was much of a Jewish community. Uh, when Paul goes there, it says in Acts, he can't even find, there's no synagogue. There's not even 10 uh, Jewish men. That's what he needed to make a synagogue. But that didn't stop them. They went and they found people who were praying and they preached the gospel. So what I want us to hear about uh, the Philippian church is that it began like every other faithful church. There was someone who came, someone who preached the gospel, Paul and Silas, met some people, told them about Jesus, told them of the saving work of Jesus, and that if they have faith in him, that they can be a follower of Christ. And the church started. There are many, uh, a few in particular, uh, many people were, were touched, many people's lives were changed. In the book of Acts, we hear about Lydia, we hear about uh, the Philippian jailer. These are examples of what happened for the Philippian church. And so when Paul is writing this letter, you have to remember, he's, he's writing this letter, sending it to a group of people. Uh, in your mind, it should be kind of like this. A group of people coming together to worship and sing praises, and someone comes in with a letter from Paul, someone they knew very, very well. Uh, in, in the book, as we read through, you'll see he uses words like affection, great affection I have for you, my love for you, my concern for you. He really, really likes these people. Uh, he's the one who discipled many of them, and so he wants them to grow in faith. And so that's what's going on here in this letter. Now, uh, the reason uh, we titled it Joy is because uh, it is a very joyful book. Uh, the word joy is used more in this book than any other book in the Bible. And so we are going to see that Paul uh, tells the Philippians, he has great joy. He wants them to have great joy. He talks about why he has joy. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is Paul is writing about joy um, from a place that it would be hard to be joyful. He's writing from prison. We see this clearly again in the book. He'll say, talk about his imprisonment. It says that he's waiting to, to figure out if he's going to be released from prison or be put to death. Uh, that tells us he's, he's most likely in a Roman prison waiting for Caesar to tell him what's going to happen. Um, he also talks about the royal guard. So we know he's in Rome. Now, being in prison for Paul is kind of like par for the course. Everywhere he goes, he gets put in prison. So that in of itself isn't that big a deal, um, except when we read between the lines, uh, Paul was in a Roman prison and he had been largely forgotten. Uh, there's a part in Second uh, Timothy where Paul talks about his buddy Onesiphorus, which is a great name. So Onesiphorus came to find Paul in Rome, and it says that he had to work very, very hard. He had to search earnestly to find Paul, which means that even in the Christian community in Rome, no one really knew where Paul was. They weren't visiting him. They weren't taking care of him. Uh, it says here in Philippians, we're going to read uh, in the coming weeks, that some of them were very jealous of him. So what we have is, is Paul, the great apostle, who's been largely forgotten about in a jail cell, writing to a church he planted years before and talking about the joy he has. And so the question that I think we need to be asking as we, as we read through the whole book, even starting today, is how is it that Paul has joy in that circumstance and yet so few of us have it here in North America where we're, where we're free, we have, we have wealth, we have, by the world standards, prosperity, how is it that Paul could be so joyful? Well, the answer, of course, you know the answer is going to be. The answer is because he knows Jesus. The only word that's used uh, more in this book than joy is Jesus. In the first chapter alone, he uses the, word, uh, the name Jesus or Christ Jesus 17 times. It's like every other verse he's talking about Jesus. And that's because that's the source of his joy. And what he wants for the Philippian church is for them to have that kind of joy as well.
So, as we get into the beginning part, today we're just going to look at uh, the first two verses, just a, a tiny little bit as a precursor to everything, but the thing about Paul is he packs so much in that uh, it's really going to be helpful. And, and remember, this would have been read aloud. So I'm going to read the first couple verses. We're going to see what God has for us uh, in, in the context of joy, but also he's really going to talk about what it, what it means to be a Christian. Okay? So Philippians uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, it'll actually be up on the screen because just a couple of verses. This is how Paul begins. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's word to us this morning. Let's pause in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for this letter. I thank you, Lord, that we can come and we can hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear uh, what you're saying. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to speak words of truth in spite of myself. And God, I pray that we would uh, come to understand more clearly what it means to be a Christian and to have joy in all circumstances. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the greeting of a letter. Normally, we skip over the greetings because normally they're form letters, mail merge, and it's just like insert your name here. But with Paul, everything is important. Uh, with Paul, instead of drinking orange juice, you're drinking like the concentrate. You know, the really, that you just take a sip and you're like, man, that's really sweet. There's a lot of nutrients in there. So that's what we're getting with, with Paul. And so it, it's, it makes sense to take our time and look at all of the words that he has in here. Um, there are really three descriptors that Paul uses to talk about Christians. Talk about those either of himself or of the Philippians. And so I package them all into one sentence uh, that is going to guide our time. So here's the sentence. Christians are set apart in Jesus, servants of Jesus, and filled with grace and peace from Jesus. So we're going to look at some of those, those big words, servants, saints, all that kind of thing, but we're also going to pay attention to the prepositions. That's right. That's a, that's a word, preposition. It means all those little words, in, of, to, with, because those words show the relationship between the other words. And those are, that's really, really important for what Paul is communicating here. In fact, if you have a pen, I would, I would encourage you to circle the words in your Bible, uh, like servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, uh, grace and peace from God our Father. Even if you borrowed a Bible from us, you can circle in there, and it'll be a blessing to the next pe- person who grabs it. So what it's showing us is that Jesus is always the source of who we are. Now, there's another uh, little word, with, uh, with overseers and deacons, we're not going to have time to go into, that's talking about the leadership of the church. And so we're not going to go into that today. We just don't have time, believe it or not, with just two verses. Um, but really what Paul is saying there, it's interesting that he puts uh, the, the overseers and the deacons with the rest of the church. Uh, not over the church, not an authority over. They do have authority. But uh, from his point of view, he sees that they are uh, together followers of Christ. And so there's not a distinction in that sense. Now, the first thing we're going to hit is we're going to start in the middle, which is to be set apart in Jesus. So the, end, the last part of verse 1, uh, Paul writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, that word saint is, is a word that we don't use that much anymore. Uh, from a, a Catholic point of view, saints are those who have led exemplary holy lives. They're those who have uh, miracles, verifiable miracles attributed to them. They are kind of the upper echelon of spirituality. Uh, in our culture, we refer to someone as a saint when they're just a pretty good guy, right? A pretty good girl. 
Uh, we say, man, they're, they're a saint. They walked my dog while I was on vacation. That's, I mean, that, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if, actually, do you know the story of uh, St. John Street in Port Moody? You know, there's that main road, St. John Street. Um, uh, interesting, unrelated, maybe not helpful story, but I want to tell it anyway, uh, is that uh, John Murray was one of the royal engineers. He uh, did the survey work for Port Moody when the, when the railroad was coming in. And because he did that, they said, hey, could you name the streets? And so he named the streets after things that were important to him, uh, his family, the royalty, there's a street for the queen, and himself. So he wrote, he, the main street was named John Street. So when he sent the, uh, all the list of names to Victoria to be registered, uh, the, whoever the, you know, the person was processing it, they made a mistake. They thought that ST meant saint, and so they made it St. John Street. And so that's how he became a saint. And the people... <laughs> Living there, when they got the, the maps, they looked at it and they said, I know John and he ain't no saint, <laughs> right? So they, that's how that word is usually meant, but forevermore he's Saint John. So um, that's actually not the, the meaning of the word saint. Biblically speaking, it's got kind of a more common usage, but in a sense, a more elevated one as well. Uh, through the, the New Testament, uh, a saint is simply another word for a Christian. 61 times in the New Testament, uh, Christians are, are called saints. Here's just a couple of them. Uh, Acts 9.32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Just the Christians, the church at, at Lydda. Romans 15.25. At present, however, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So he's just going to visit the Christians who are there. So in one sense, it's a, very, it's a common term. But the meaning of the term itself is not common. Uh, it's very, very significant. Uh, some of the meanings associated with this word is, uh, are pure, perfect, uh, distinct, set apart, and holy. Which is why I said we are set apart in, in Christ. Um, God himself is holy. We just, we just sang, we read about the holiness of God. Uh, we see in the Old Testament that this is the word that uh, best encapsulates the nature of God. That he is, he is pure, he is perfect, he is altogether other than the rest of the world. Uh, when Isaiah gets a vision of God's throne room, this is what he sees. He sees um, angelic beings, and they're just saying this, Isaiah 6.3, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is, this is the word that describes the essence of Godness, that he is holy, that he is pure, that he is set apart, not just morally good, but completely distinct from the universe. So the question is, how can that type of meaning be attached to us, uh, human beings? And this is where that uh, little word in is so very, very important. Because you notice it says that we are saints in Christ Jesus. We are not saints in ourselves. Uh, that's the way that the world means it. When they say you're a saint, they mean, man, you're just really, really good. Whatever you got going on, thank you for your efforts, for your energy. Um, in your own strength, you are fantastic. You're a saint. That's not, that's not what Paul means here. When he talks about us as saints, it's in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we have a new nature, and we can actually be called holy. We can actually be called perfect, because in God's eyes, all of our sins are taken away. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, um, there is a real sense from God's point of view how you are a saint. Um, if you're a guest here with us, I think it's helpful. I hope it's helpful for you to be reading through this and hearing how it is that God talks about his own people. 
what it is that's true of those who believe in Jesus. Uh, in a sense, uh, thinking of someone as a saint, uh, it's like we're a signpost with arrows in two directions. On the one hand, we're pointing backwards. We're pointing backwards to what Jesus did for us. All the work that he did, that we didn't do, but that he did for us on our behalf on the cross, that is our nature as a saint, as holy, as set apart. Uh, we see this, uh, one example, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're, we're made new. We're made perfect. It doesn't mean we live perfectly right now, but there's a stamp on us, a legal designation that says, this person, because they are in Christ, are now holy. They're a saint. That's what Christ did for us. It's not us. But on the other hand, we're pointing forward. Part of being a saint is also pointing forward to the life that God has called us to. That we are actually to, to live out this life in newness, in honor to God. And we also see this in Colossians. It says Colossians three twelve and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There are some things that we are to do if we're saints, if we're Christians. There is, there is a reality that has been made for us in Christ, but then there's also a life that we are to live. And so this is what it means to be a Christian. It means that we are set apart, not just from sin, but also we are set apart to good works. There are some, some things that we are to do. And um, Paul makes this really, really clear because the second thing, the first thing he said, but the second thing that I'm going to point us to is that we are servants. So we are saints. Christians are saints. Christians are also servants. Uh, it's telling that uh, Paul, the super apostle, church planner extraordinaire, spiritual father to many, 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 uh, he calls himself first and foremost a servant. Uh, typically in the ancient world, you would begin your letter by writing all your titles, these days, we put it at the end of an email. You know, we have all the letters, all the things, babysitting diploma, everything that we have over all the years. We want to put it on there. Um, back in those days, they would put it first. And so here would be just an example of uh, how um, Caesar would write sort of his title. So you would say, Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar Augustus, Germanicus Imperator, Pontifex Maximus, holder of the Tribunician power, Consul designer to the city of Alexandria, greetings. That's how he would start his letter, which is basically saying, I'm a big deal and hello, <laughs> right? Just so you know, that's who I am. So Paul just says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, which says very effectively, Jesus is a big deal and hello, right? He wants people to know right from the get-go. This is who I am. This is who every person who follows Jesus uh, but the word itself, servant, is, um, is a layered word. It has a lot of meanings. Uh, it can mean um, not just servant, but bond servant, like an indentured servant or a slave. All of the meanings for this Greek word, it's doulos, um, it talks about someone who is completely devoted to their master. So Paul is saying, I, I am not my own master. Jesus is my master. I serve at his pleasure. For the Philippian church, this wouldn't have been a surprise. They would have run right over this. Of course he's a servant. Partly because in their town, there's servants and slaves and bond servants all over the place. It was very, very normal in their society. 
For us, it's obviously not so normal. In fact, for us, uh, the highest, one of the highest virtues in our culture is that we have individual freedom, right? We, it's a good thing, we say, if you are able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as you're not hurting someone, that's the best. That's the best thing for each person. And so to read this, again, if you're here with us and you're kind of wondering, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, this word probably gives you pause. Because you're like, okay, wait, that's for every Christian? Every Christian is a servant of Christ? That's one of the criticisms, I think, from our culture of what it means to be a Christian is that we let um, God, some spirit in the sky, tell us what to do through a book that was written thousands of years ago, and, and yet we say that leads to a good life. And for many people, there's a huge disconnect there. Because a good life means that you are in charge of your life, that you can do whatever you want. And yet the Bible says, says the very opposite. It's helpful to think about the fact that, um, in truth, everyone is mastered by something. It's actually, it's actually not true that anyone is, is free from having a master in their lives. And no matter how much we would like to think otherwise, every one of us devotes ourselves to, to something that we think will bring us the good life. Uh, whether we're part of the church or not. Um, we know people, we may be people who devote ourselves to our work, right? We, we, we see that there's someone we know and we just think, man, it seems like every moment of the day they're just, they're trying to build that business, they're trying to climb up that ladder and that in of itself isn't a bad thing, but there's a real sense in which that, that masters them in their life. Money also can be, can be a cruel taskmaster. When we begin to see money as that which will bring us the good life, then we devote ourselves to it. We always need more of it. Even when we, we spend it, we, we don't always get the happiness and joy that we want. Relationships can do the same thing, right? We, we think if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, that then things would be great. We're consumed by it. We're devoted to it. Even a healthy diet, even if we were to eat organic, vegan non-GMO vegetables grown by a mountain stream for the rest of our lives, right? The absolute purest food that we could get, um, that devotion would demand more than it would give. Because in 80 years of eating those vegetables, we would still, we would die. We wouldn't have scurvy. We'd have lots of whatever we need. That does, scurvy, what is it? Vitamin C, D, anyway, C. We would not die from that, but we would die from something else. Because that, because that healthiness cannot actually deliver what it promises. So, just from thinking about the way that we live our lives, I think it's pretty clear that everyone has a master. Some we choose, some we don't. But the key is, every master other than Jesus will exploit you and disappoint you. The, Jesus is our master. If you're wondering, if you want to just be clear, what Paul's saying is very true. We are servants of, of a king, King Jesus. But he is unlike any other master because he gave of himself so that we would have eternal joy and happiness. Uh, he paid the price. We now belong to him because he gave himself on the cross. We see this uh, in, in a bunch of places in the New Testament. But here's 1 Corinthians. Uh, it says, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Have you ever thought of that? This verse is saying that our body actually doesn't belong to us if we're a Christian. 
That's, that's a pretty radical statement. But notice it says that's true because Christ gave his body so that you could have a body that has the hope of life eternal. Jesus is our master. But there is, there is such joy in serving a gracious and generous and loving master. One who made it his goal to give us life and then to see us flourish in every way. And so Paul gladly calls himself a servant of Christ. He wants the Philippian church to know that's who you are. You are a servant. But also, I think, also he wants them to understand that there is actually service involved. Right? You, it's, it's who you are, but it's actually what you do. And so... Uh, it's helpful for us to know that as well. Here at the beginning stages of Tri-City Church, as Sarah mentioned, uh, there are many, many opportunities to serve. If indeed we are servants of the king and if our heart is here, uh, then this should be something that should be on our heart and our mind. Uh, there's a great uh, quote uh, from one of the commentators. Uh, he says this, But the saint is obedient. Great though our privileges are, they are not to be equated with dressing gown and slippers, which are nice things. Uh, they are... Staff and shoes for pilgrimage, armor for battle, and plow for the field. So as saints, as servants, we do have a high status. We've been given amazing things in Christ, but it's not so that we can put our feet up. It's not so that we can sit back and wait for heaven. We're to be equipped because there's work to do. There's people who need to know the message of Christ. And there's ways we need to serve each other. So one of the things that we're going to be constantly telling people who come in our doors is, is we're glad you're here. If you're new here, we're super glad you're here. Uh, and there are three things that we think will be most helpful for you in terms of uh, plugging into the life of Tri-City Church. One of them is to gather here on Sunday morning. So everyone can just check that box today. Good job. Uh, the reason for that is because it's a blessing to come together, to worship God. It honors him. It's good for us. The Bible says don't neglect gathering together. It's a good thing. The second thing is to join a community group, as we already mentioned. Why? Because the Bible also says it's good for us to be in relationship. And we can't get deep enough here on a Sunday morning to really know each other, to pray for each other. And so we want to find ways to do that in smaller groups. And so we say, hey, we've got community groups. Man, if you can find any way to get into one, it will be well worth your while. You will be known. You'll be cared for. It's a good thing. The third thing is to join a serve team. Again, because it will be best for you and best for the church. We have so many opportunities to serve, and um, there are many, many people already. If you walked in here and you're new, see people with name tags, and you're thinking, man, this seems like things are under control, which I hope they are. They are under control, but, but our goal is to reach the cities around us. There are thousands and thousands of people that we know are lost, are serving other masters, and we want for them to know Christ, and that means we're going to be inviting them in our doors. That means that we need to build our teams in such a way that we can serve well, care for people. Uh, there are some people serving right now in the kids who last week didn't even make it into the gathering because they were, they were in kids, they were flipping hot dogs, whatever the case may be. We want to spread the load out. We want to serve each other well. And man, it's so good for us to use the skills that God has given us. Uh, there was one uh, fellow I was talking to um, who, you know, is another church, not this church, another church. And... Um, and I was talking to him about this, saying, yeah, you know, we have some teams, it'd be great to, to join. And, and he said, oh yeah, I, I would, sure, I'd be happy to help out, but I, I just don't want to be on a list, he said. And I said, oh, that's okay. I said, but you know, lists are kind of helpful because when you're scheduling, you, it's nice to have a list. 
why, why don't you want to be on a list? He said, well, look, I'm, when I'm here, I'm, I'd really love to help out. But if I'm on a list, then I'll feel guilty if I don't show up. And I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's, there's maybe some other problems there. So his, his whole idea of being a servant was kind of skewed, right? His idea of a servant was, in my own way, on my own terms, I'm happy to serve. But that's not actually how Paul means it. Right? He means a servant, meaning that, that we give of ourselves kind of like Christ has given himself for us. Uh, totally. And so I'd encourage you. I know there are many of you who are just for stage of life, uh, moms with kids running around, that this is just not a time when you're going to join a team. That's no problem. But for those who have uh, an opportunity to do that, I'd really encourage you. Just think about it. Pray about it. Where could, where could I serve and how could I be a blessing to those around me? You'll notice that Paul, he writes with a lot of joy from someone who is serving Christ in prison. There is a, a real tangible way in which we receive much grace from God uh, while, we are, while we're serving him, regardless of the circumstances. So, a couple of questions, just out of this idea of being a servant. Um, could there be some ways in which you are, um, you are serving other masters? Could there be some ways in which, uh, as you think about your life, that actually you are still you are still trying to be the master of your life. That this idea of being a servant hasn't really sunk in. That you haven't really lived it out. And again, are there some ways that you might be called to serve here at the church and then beyond into our community? The last uh, descriptor reminds us about the blessings that come uh, about having Jesus as our master. So the last descriptor says, filled with grace and peace from Jesus. Uh, in the actual verse, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so those two in the grammar, they're kind of actually smashed together uh, grammatically. It's like they're hyphenated. God the Father and Jesus are like one source of, of blessing. And the blessings are amazing. Firstly, it's grace. Grace is one of those Christian words that we use a lot. And so sometimes we just kind of you know, grace to you, grace. Sometimes you sign emails, grace and peace. Um, grace is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, grace means unmerited favor from God. It means something that we couldn't do and didn't deserve is given to us, some good thing that God has for us. Uh, for me, I often have this picture in my head. I don't know if this still happens, but I remember there being contests when I was a kid where you would get a shopping spree at Toys R Us. I forget what the contest was, but I remember thinking, that would be amazing. I could walk into Toys R Us and they would have shopping carts and you would just go through the aisles putting everything, even stuff you didn't want, you just put it in the cart, it'd be overflowing and you'd walk out, you'd be the happiest kid forever because you'd have all these toys. That's kind of grace. Grace actually would be if I as a kid had uh, gone in and graffitied Toys R Us and then like broken some windows and like stole some stuff, right? Some micro machines and some transformers, right? When I was a kid in the 80s. Um, and then the response was not, uh, Matt, you're going to Toys R Us jail, but Matt, we're going to give you a shopping spree. We're going we're to bless you over and abundantly, more than you can ever imagine. That's the, the gracious response of God. That's, that's his response to each one of us. And we see this in scripture over and over again. Here's one example of just the blessings that come by the grace of God. This is Ephesians 1, 5 to 8. It says, in love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Just look at the words there. We're adopted, we're blessed, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. All through the riches of his grace. This idea of of lavishly blessing us. This is the master that we serve. This is why I think Paul can say at all times, man, it's a joy to serve. It's a joy to follow Jesus because the blessings are so rich. And one of them that comes from grace is peace. The grace comes first because that's God reaching out to us, touching us in our lives with the gospel, saving us, bringing us to all these these good places, this this spiritual reality that is newness. Um, But peace is part of that. Now, peace for us these days, oftentimes means simply um, like being without conflict. A lot of times that's what we think of when we, we think of as peace, but the meaning is much deeper than that. Um, another commentator uh, describes biblical peace as this. It's the inner assurance and tranquility that God ministers to the hearts of believers that keeps them spiritually confident and content even in the midst of turmoil. So again, look at those words, assurance, tranquility, confident, content, even in the midst of turmoil. That kind of peace is a peace that humanity has been looking for forever. We all, I think, want to be able to wake up in the morning and have have those things be true in our hearts, not be anxious, not be fearful. The truth is, we can get some measure of peace from the things of this world. Uh, money, money can bring assurance and it can bring some confidence. I don't know about you, but when I look at the bank account and there's a plus instead of a minus, uh, I feel better. I feel more confident. I feel like whatever happens that day, I'm able to deal with it. Whatever financial things, whatever we have to buy, uh, whatever the kids want, okay, we, we have some money. I feel, I feel kind of better about myself, better about my life. A good relationship can bring contentment. It's a great thing to be able to come home at the end of the day and, and talk to someone or to call up your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, just talk about the day. There's, there's real comfort in that. That's a good thing. And we know when someone comes back from vacation that they're rested, especially if they've been somewhere warm, really annoying, right, in the office, and they're all bubbly, and you're like, all right, not everyone is in Hawaii. So, <laughs> But it's true, right? We come back from vacation and we feel just, man, rested and kind of tranquil, unless you have young kids and then it doesn't matter where you were, it wasn't, wasn't restful. Uh, but there can be some measure of tranquility that comes from, from that experience. But the truth is that none of those things can help you find peace if the, if the turmoil is big enough. There's no bank account that's big enough in the world uh, to quell the storms of a cancer diagnosis. It just doesn't matter how much money you have. When you're facing chemotherapy, when you're facing six months to live, none of that helps. It doesn't even matter uh, if you've gone on a vacation. If you find out that the job that you've been at for the last 20 years, all of a sudden you're, you're being let go or they're downsizing, um, that vacation does little to bring you peace. There's no tranquility when you get home. Because, because you have questions. Your life is unstable all of a sudden. And no matter how good your marriage is or your, 
your relationships are, um, at the death of a loved one, someone who's close, um, they can actually bring peace. There is no peace in death, in poverty, and in sickness unless you have a hope that goes beyond this world. Unless you have a master who is so committed to your joy that he forced open that door of, that door of gladness and peace uh, with his own shoulder. Right? Christ said, I, I love you. I'm reaching out in grace. I'm going to make this true in your life and I'm going to give you a hope that goes beyond all these things so that even when those things happen, even when you're in the doctor's office, even when the worst comes, you know that there are things that are deeper and more true about you, that you are a saint in Christ, that you are a servant of a, of a master who loves you and has promised to take care of you. That's the root of our joy. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, that, that is more true of you than any of the circumstances in your life. And so that's what our summary statement said. Christians are set apart in Jesus, servants of Jesus, and filled with grace and peace from Jesus. There is no better recipe for a life of joy here and now and for the life to come. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you, you can rejoice. You should be rejoicing. And you should look for this week and say, God, how is it that you're going to use me Lord, where, where is it that um, there's going to be greater joy because I come to know you more? Where can I serve you more? And if you're here this morning and you don't, you don't know Jesus yet, I think the question that I'd like to leave you with is simply, why would you want to serve anyone else? In light of what God has said through his word, um, how does it make sense to devote yourself to any other thing except that which would bring you uh, joy and hope for all time. And that's what we found in Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, <clears throat> Lord God, there is joy. There is joy in knowing Jesus that regardless of what comes our way, uh, when we know you, when we have been saved, uh, Lord, we have a hope that is eternal. Uh, God, I pray for us here. I pray, Lord, that we would truly grow in an understanding of what it means to be both a saint and a servant. And Lord, that uh, for those who are here and and don't know you in that way yet, God. I pray that this would have been helpful. I pray, Lord, that if there are questions, there would be good answers given today before they leave. And God, I pray that for us here as, as Tri-City Church, Lord, that you would lead us to continue to love each other as you've loved us. And Lord, that we would, in fact, walk out our life as, as a saint and a servant to your honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.